When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who don't judge children based on their body size. I'm Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and Legend of Zelda soundtrack addict. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and happily unemployed individual. We are the sister duo, also known as Tupang Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate factory. Have you ever seen a single person going into that factory? There must be people working there. The only thing that comes out of that place is the candy. I'd give anything in the world just to go in that amazing factory. Dear people of the world, I, Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children to visit my factory. Five golden tickets have been hidden underneath the wrapping paper of five ordinary Wonka bars. Wouldn't it be something, Charlie, to open a bar of candy and find a golden ticket? But I only get one bar a year. Nothing is impossible. You found Wonka's last golden ticket. From director Tim Burton. Please enter. Who are you? He's Willy Wonka. I'm Violet Beauregard. I don't care. I love your chocolate. I can see that. I'm Veruca Salt. Daddy, I want another pony. You're my TV. Die, die, die! <laughs> okay. And you. Well, you're just lucky to be here, aren't you? Welcome to the factory. So we're wearing our shades today to serve the dual purpose of referencing Willy Wonka and also not putting on eye makeup. Pretty genius of us, actually. I kind of want to do this forever. Uh, me too. Because I absolutely want to do it forever. This is my favorite state to be in. Black turtleneck, red lipstick, eyes covered. Like, that's ideal. She's mysterious. Actually, sometimes I wonder if people either think that I am blind or that I think I'm really cool because I will wear sunglasses in the subway because eye contact with strangers makes me really uncomfortable and I don't like it. So I really, I will wear sunglasses in the subway. Wait, I had no idea that you do that. They probably think you're a celebrity or something. I don't think so. I just literally, I wouldn't even know because I keep them on in the subway and I also don't look at people. So I'm just like there. Wait, I can't believe that you're like that. That's I, that's new information to me. I mean, not if I'm with someone else. That if I'm sense. alone, though, but, I'll it, and if I have them on, well, cause you don't, I'm not like putting them use, on for the subway. But if I have them, I will keep them on. 
Do you still not listen to stuff on the train or do you? I have always listened to stuff on the train. There was a period of time where I just didn't, I would only put in one earbud. Yeah. But I've oh, I ne- I very rarely raw dog the subway. I don't. <laughs> My look is I realized once I put on the lipstick that it's very Lolita inspired. That's what it looks like. Yeah, the heart shaped sunglasses with the red. I just need to be like in a in a photo set on Tumblr in 2011 and I would complete the mood here. Our question for the culture this week is a little different than normal. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. As you guys know, we have been doing Question for the Culture for many episodes now. And we assumed that everyone knew where the... I assumed for some reason that everyone would know where that audio bite came from and like what we're referencing. But I asked in the Discord earlier today, do you guys know what we're talking about? And... It was a uh, resounding no slash crickets, which implies no. So we are here to explain what question for the culture is today. Honestly, I didn't think that anyone, I thought very few people would understand the reference, but I thought that the audio was funny without understanding it. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Yes. I was like, how do I even begin to explain this? But thankfully, this whole incident is archived on knowyourmeme.com. So here's some stuff that I pulled just to explain what it is. Lana Del Rey's Question for the Culture post refers to an Instagram post made by singer <laughs> Lana Del Rey in May yeah, 2020. Obviously. Think about May 2020. <laughs> Addressing her resentment toward the music industry standards for women's hit song subject matter. In the long post, she mentions that there is no place for women like her in the industry and that she has been criticized for glamorizing abuse while other huge female artists have hits with questionable subject matter. The post was widely criticized by Twitter and Instagram users who called her racist and privileged. She also voices her annoyance of negative reviews of her earlier albums and later on in the post, she reveals her upcoming sixth studio album's release date. Audrey, would you like to read the first sentence of this post? That's another thing to note about this post <laughs> is that there's there are some extreme run-on sentences going on. Question for the culture. Now that Doja Cat, Ariana, Camilla, Cardi B, Kehlani, and Nicki Minaj and Beyonce have had number ones with songs about being sexy, wearing no clothes, fucking, cheating, etc. Can I please go back to singing about being embodied, feeling beautiful by being in love, even if the relationship is not perfect, or dancing for money, or whatever I want, without being crucified or saying I'm glamorizing abuse? Let this be clear. I'm not not a feminist, but there has to be a place in feminism for women who look and act like me. The kind of woman who says no, but men hear yes. The kind of women who are slated mercilessly for being authentic, delicate selves. The kind of women who get their own stories and voices taken away from them by stronger women or by men who hate women. What? Yeah. And it goes on and on. And I cannot emphasize enough, this was May 2020. 
which makes it all the better and all the worse. Like, I just can't imagine a possibly worse time for her to have done this, which adds to it. And then, so the soundbite that you hear, the the culture is super sick right now, comes from this video she posted on her Instagram story where she is, for lack of a better term, clapping back at her detractors. And we'll just include some highlights from that here. You know, I just think it's sad that the women I mentioned about, you know, whether they sing about dancing for money or whatever, the same stuff, by the way, that I've been singing about and chronicling for 13 years. That's why I'm in that echelon. Yes, they are my friends and peers and contemporaries. The difference is when I get on the pole, people call me a whore. But when Twigs gets on the pole, it's art. You know, I mean, I'm reminded constantly by my friends that lyrically there are layers and complicated psychological, you know, factors that play into some of my songwriting. But I just want to say the culture is super sick right now. And the fact that they want to turn my my posts, my advocacy for fragility into a race war, it's really bad. It's actually really bad. Especially when in that same declaration, I was talking again about the idea of how important it is to make reparations to the, for me, to the Navajo community because they touched me so much in my youth. You know, that I believe in personal reparations because it's the right thing to do. To all of the other women out there who are like me, good girls, good intentioned, who get fucked up the ass constantly by the culture, just because you, you know, say what you really mean. I'm with you. That's what we're referencing. <laughs> Why do we use it? I think it's because we have been Lana fans for a really long time. Neither of us are defending any of this, obviously. It continues to be funny till till now to me. I mean, it was somewhat bold behavior for us to put it in, but she she's... <laughs> She's a silly woman sometimes, and I think she likes to talk a lot about her karmic lineage and being uh-huh. delicate mm-hmm. and shit like that. Like, she sometimes cannot help but be a white woman in her 30s. Like, sometimes she just cannot yeah. resist the urge. In her post, she does talk about, like, making reparations to yeah. the Native American community where she grew up. So it's it's not like, okay, we don't have to she's get into not, this. She's not a hateful person. She's just silly. And sometimes she puts, her, just, she puts her foot in her mouth. And then the the orchestra, the string moment you're hearing is from the beginning of her song, Honeymoon. And we just, I, I thought that added to the vibe of what she was saying. So that is what Question for the Culture is. Now you know if you did not know before. Is it time to talk about this movie? I guess it is time. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was released on July 15th, 2005. It was rated PG for mild language, action, and quirky situations. Whatever that means. It was directed by Tim Burton, who obviously needs no explanation, but... Just to be quick, Edward Scissorhands, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Big Eyes, Sleepy Hollow, Batman Returns, Beetlejuice, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then, of course, carrying the torch of the bad, heavily CGI 
Disney remakes. So the Alice in Wonderland series and Dumbo. And I would say that this movie was probably the beginning of this era for him based off of the CGI of it all. But that's just my opinion. The book that this movie was based upon is written by Roald Dahl, who also wrote Matilda, James and the Giant Peach, and the BFG. He has screenplay writing credits for an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He controversially has screenplay writing credit for Willy Wonka, which is the 70s one, which he infamously hated how that movie turned out. But technically, he does have a screenplay writing credit for that movie. He also wrote the screenplay for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, as we talked about on the Matilda episode. And he was also a TV writer in addition to his career as being a novelist. Back in the 50s, he was writing TV. The screenplay was written by John August, who's known for writing Big Fish, Frankenweenie, Go, Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, this movie, and the 2019 Aladdin, as well as Corpse Bride. So he's in with the Tim Burton camp, for sure. All right, and then synopses. This is the IMDb one. When Willy Wonka decides to let five children into his chocolate factory, he decides to release five golden tickets in five separate chocolate bars, causing complete mayhem. The tickets start to be found with the fifth going to a very special boy called Charlie Bucket. With his grandpa, Charlie joins the rest of the children to experience the most amazing factory ever, but not everything goes to plan within the factory. Okay, that was mm-hmm. kind of weirdly mm-hmm. written. Um, yes. Letterbox. A young boy wins a tour through the most magnificent chocolate factory in the world, led by the world's most unusual candy maker. And Efficient. finally, Rotten Tomatoes. Based on the beloved Roald Dahl tale, this comedic and fantastical film follows young Charlie Bucket and his grandpa Joe as they join a small group of contest winners. Ugh who get to tour the magical and mysterious factory of eccentric candy maker Willy Wonka. Aided by his diminutive Oompa Loompa workers, Wonka has a hidden motivation for the tour, one that he will reveal only after the children in the group show their true colors. Wearing the sunglasses is actually really helpful for me because they're prescription, so I can read better. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like mine because I'm not being blinded by my LEDs as much as normal. Taglines. The first one is The Factory Opens July 2005. Get ready for a taste of adventure. Oompa Loompas are crazy for cocoa beans. <laughs> the Factory Opens July. That's oh, we already said that. <laughs> Willy Sorry. Wonka is semi sweet and nuts. Charlie is lucky to be there. <laughs> Mike thinks candy <laughs> is a waste of time. Veruca is a very bad nut. Violet keeps her eyes on the prize. Augustus is what he eats. So those were like on posters of each kid, obviously, and Willy Wonka and the Oompa Loompas. So there are a lot of people in the cast here, and I really only filled in details for those that are particularly relevant either to our culture or to the movie itself. Of course, we have Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka. All I'm going to say is that At the time this movie came out, which was 2005, he was really on a hot streak of things for kids. So Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, came out in 2003. 
then Finding Neverland, which was not that kid-friendly, but whatever. And then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out in 2005. Corpse Bride, also 2005. And then Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3 both came out in 2006. So he was kind of at his peak in terms of relevance to us, at least, in this era. When it comes to domestic abuse cases with celebrities... You're just not going to know the truth as a random person. And therefore, like, do yeah. do we all tend to just be like, yeah, fuck the guy? Yeah, we do. And that's probably true. Well, <laughs> we also tend to be fuck the woman, though. Well, me as a society. As a society, absolutely. They say fuck the woman. As me, it's always fuck the guy, almost in a reactionary sense. And it's like, I don't care to be apologetic towards millionaire men like I don't care if I'm even if I was wrong I'd still be like well he's gonna be fine so it's fine the last thing I'll say about that is that I was talking about Josh with this yesterday and kind of like what I ended up coming up with which felt right to me is that like I believe Amber Heard for a lot of reasons but especially because she's not even close to as famous as him so why would she do that if it wasn't like, why would you throw yourself under the bus reputation-wise like that? So then we have Freddie Highmore as Charlie Bucket, best known for Finding Neverland, which is funny because same as Johnny Depp. Bates Motel, Art of Getting By, The Art of Getting By. And now he's in The Good Doctor. That's like his main thing now. It's a TV series. He's been in 107 episodes and he has the main character. Then we have David Kelly as Grandpa Joe, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Bucket, Noah Taylor as Mr. Bucket. Then we have Missy Pyle as Mrs. Beauregard, best known for Dodgeball, The Artist, Galaxy Quest, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Along Came Polly, Big Fish, and Josie and the Pussycats. Then we have James Fox as Mr. Salt. We have Deep Roy as the Oompa Loompas, which begs the question, who is this man? He is in the 2009 Star Trek and all of the following movies in the franchise. He was Teeny Weeny. That is the named character in The NeverEnding Story. He was General Bones Apart in Corpse Bride. He was in The Haunted Mansion, Big Fish, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Return to Oz, the scary sequel thing. Um, And he plays the Tin Man, which is just like a guy... It's like a scrap metal guy. So he must have been in the suit. I don't really know. Then we have Christopher Lee as Dr. Wonka. Of course, he was Saruman in Lord of the Rings, Lord Summerisle in The Wicker Man, Count Dooku slash Darth Tyrannus in Star Wars Episode Two, The Jabberwocky in Alice in Wonderland, in Corpse Bride, in Sleepy Hollow, in a million other things. And he died in 2015, unfortunately. We have Adam Godley as Mr. TV, Jordan Fry as Mike TV, Francisca Trogner as Mrs. Gloop, Philip Wygrass as Augustus Gloop, Anna Sophia Robb as Violet Beauregard, of course we know about her, Samantha Parkington in An American Girl Holiday, Bridget Terabithia, The Way Way Back, Soul Surfer, Little Fires Everywhere, Because of Winn-Dixie, I always think of I'm Glad My Mom Died Now whenever I hear Because of Winn-Dixie. And then last but not least, we have Julia Winter who played Veruca Salt, and this is her only credit. The budget was $150 million. That's crazy. The opening weekend yes. made $56,178,450. And the worldwide gross is $474,968,763. Okay, so critical and audience opinions. The critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 83%. And the critic consensus is... 
Closer to the source material than 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is for people who like their chocolate visually appealing and dark. Would you like to read the critic opinions? Sure. Okay. First one is, I wonder if even children will respond to the peculiarly humorless and charmless stylistic eccentricities of Mr. Burton and his star, Johnny Depp. Second one, marrying extreme set design and sublime casting, Burton's film showcases his (laughs) usual interest in gothic effects and the original Willy Wonka's psychedelia. Um, Mm -hmm. The third one is somehow everything comes up smelling of rose-scented chocolate. Burton outdoes himself and it's the inside of the chocolate factory and its community of singing Oompa Loompas that scintillate. Uh, And the last one, Depp's Wonka exudes none of the gravity required for the role. It's as though he didn't take the role seriously. Rather than an intimidating candyman teaching brats a lesson, this Wonka is is simply a freak. I think that he's both, personally. I think he's intimidating and a freak in this movie. Yeah. Audience score and letterbox average star rating. So 51% audience score and 3.2 stars average on Letterboxd. I was kind of surprised that the audience score was that much lower than the critic score. Because uh, that's normally not how it is, but that's what happened. So some audience opinions. First one is four stars. I went to college with Willy Wonka. He was a good guy who smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> Next one, half a star. Where the overall feel of the original was warm and with a charming eccentric in the main role, this version is uncomfortably weird and a little disturbing. The portrayal of Willy Wonka looks like it was a no small part inspired by Michael Jackson, which seems like an odd move and greatly adds to the overall disturbing and off feel of the film. Wouldn't watch again. The next one. Five stars. This is not a remake rather than an original version that exists outside of the first. Johnny Depp and Tim Burton made a fantastic movie that expands the life of Willy Wonka. The songs were different and great. Watch this movie for the last 15 years and it never gets old. Of course, the original is better, but this one doesn't deserve hate. What do you think about those takes? I don't know because we can just go right into go right into when we yeah. first watched because... I pretty I'm pretty sure we saw this version maybe before the original, probably before the original. So maybe, yeah. I mean, it sticks out in my memory being before the original. So uh, I think that that can really skew your perception of an adaptation when you see the new one before the original. It's kind of like yeah. in your brain, the new one is the original, just because. Of the order. So I feel like if I had been older and seen the Gene Wilder one first, I probably would have thought that this one was like empty as fuck. Like I probably would have been like, this movie feels hollow compared to the original. Yeah, I think Gene Wilder is just like a lot better for the role than Johnny Depp is. But they play it different, really differently. But Gene Wilder just like has a soul that even if the character is a little off color, you never doubt that he, that he like has feelings. I think Johnny Depp can kind of cloud that a little bit too much. Honestly, 
I thought that it did seem like he had feelings and I really like him. He's really particular. Every time he moves his rubber gloves and they make a squeaky sound, it made me laugh. That really was just funny to me. I get the Michael Jackson comparison. I kind of feel inclined to say that that feels more like an observation that's rooted in what the climate of the time was, which was like when I was in middle school and elementary school, I remember there being like endless Michael Jackson jokes, like because I'm pretty sure it was before he died. And so it was very like making pedophile jokes was a thing when I was in middle school and it was all very Michael Jackson inspired. So that I feel like that's where that comparison comes from, probably. But what you said about Gene Wilder having emotions, he I don't know, Gene Wilder legitimately freaked me out in the end of Willy Wonka when he gets mad. He's actually scary in that one. I know, but he's good. I like him in that. I think I think his, yeah. his levity and like him in the when they first enter the like the candy room. It beats yeah. Johnny Depp's version by a, a lot, in my opinion. And it's more of yeah. it's more of a musical. And that's the other reason I like it. More. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying that too last night. Like all the songs in this movie are diegetic. Non- no. They're diegetic. They're diegetic. <laughs> they're diegetic. And they're um non-diegetic in the other one. And also just like pure imagination is like the banger of a generation. So yeah. that You just can't get past that. But again, this is the whole thing. If you compare them, obviously one is better than the other, but I enjoyed this movie. But I'm spoiling what my opinions are. When did we first watch this? What do we remember? Okay, the reason why we're doing this movie is because this was a minivan movie. We had this movie in our little Apple box of DVDs. So we watched this movie so much that I remember sleeping over at Grandma... Andy and Grandpa Gary's house and being super anxious trying to fall asleep. It was during my first era of sleep anxiety and that I would close my eyes and watch this movie in my head as a means of calming down. Yeah. Yeah, we watched it a lot and we watched the behind the scenes a lot too, which did teach me about filmmaking to some degree. I feel like the amount that we watched behind the scenes stuff of all the movies we loved when we were kids in the minivan definitely made an impact on us. My favorite thing from the behind the scenes of this movie is that they show you that there are a ton of little robots of the Oompa Loompas like all over the place. Like in the boat that they take down the Chocolate River, there are some shots where it's actually the guy, but a lot of them are just robots of him, which uh, is very unsettling, but also pretty cool. It's just insane that anybody, any one human can get people to willingly give them millions upon millions of dollars to make something that is so incredibly nonsensical and kind of dumb. <laughs> yes. But yes. It, I mean just that goes for all movies. It's just it's just freaking crazy when you think about it. It's so interesting cuz like it is such a folly. Like there are so many people that need money to like survive yeah. and yet Tim Burton is getting millions of dollars to make 30 robots of a of deep Roy. Yeah. We've never talked about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
there's lots of ways to combat that sentiment. But a lot of times I do feel like it is true. It's like, well, why don't we just like, like literally feed an entire country instead? (laughs) It's because instead of, yeah, it's because this is a business and you can look at it like any other business where you're asking, why aren't they, why isn't any, any of these millionaires doing anything to help people with their money. And it's because it's an investment, but with film, it's such a risky investment that you Mm -hmm. kind of wonder like, why don't you invest in something that, you know, you, you know, you won't be getting a return, but you know, for a fact that you will help people. And it's like, well, it's because they don't care about helping people. Okay. Question answer. (laughs) (laughs) Period. That is the answer. (laughs) All right. Well, this movie, uh, where did you watch it? <laughs> I watched it illegally, but I did watch it for free. You already know what I did. Yeah, I know because dad yeah. emailed me your receipt. <laughs> he always says FYI dot dot dot. You can rent this movie on Apple TV or you can find it illegally online. You follow your bliss. I followed mine and we will see you after the break. <laughs> You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Welcome back, children. Step into the factory. Because we're in the factory talking about what it was like watching 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I already said this in the first half, but I just want to start this off by saying I enjoyed this movie so much more than I thought I would. I was like, I know I've seen it a million times. I was like, this is probably going to be way worse than I remembered. But I chuckled several times. And I hate to say it, but mostly at Johnny Depp's choices. I thought they were really funny. I think the kids' reactions were really funny. I think the characterization was so specific to the point where even if people didn't like this movie when it came out, it made such a big impact on the culture of people our age. Like I think of the, um, that guy on TikTok who would dress up as the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. (laughs) Like, Just stuff like that. I have something more micro that I could say that's near the beginning. I think this is the only movie I've ever seen where Helena Bottom Carter is like styled to look warm and cozy instead of like gaunt and white. 
Yeah. She never plays nice roles. This is like the most blah role she's like ever played. This is very much the Tim Burton is my partner and he puts me in everything role for this movie. Yeah. Oh, Something that I remembered after this watch was that the whole thing of like replacing a factory worker with a machine is a concept that I did not know about. Like, I did not uh-huh. know about this and how that it's an issue and it will continue to be an issue, like, in the economy. Like, that that's, like, a real problem that we have. That leads me to ask the question of, well, it's really more of a statement. This movie has no regard for time period at all. <laughs> like, no. when Mike TV is playing video games and they look that good, I'm like, uh, I thought this was, like, in the 50s, but it's a little unclear now. Uh, most of Tim Burton's movies are out of time. They'll look really 50s or 80s or whatever, but then they'll have modern appliances. Like, there's just, like, things about it that don't add up. The technology yeah. never aligns with the visuals. Speaking of timeline, did you notice when Grandpa Joe is telling the backstory of Willy oh, Wonka, yeah. which, first they of all, age him why down. did she- Well, they don't age him down, but also, first of all, why did he wait to tell that story until that day if Charlie was building a scale model of the factory for what seems to be a very long time? But then second of all, when he's telling the story and there's those like really unnecessary um, titles of like how many years ago it was, did you notice those? It was 20 years ago for that one. And I was like... Okay, so basically they put those there you so that you can even understand it well, because if they didn't put him put them there it would look like yesterday. Okay, but he did just say I worked for him a long time ago. I I felt like the titles were redundant. The 20 years ago wasn't that bad, but then the 15 years ago was really yeah. silly. I guess they had to do 20 years ago because you can tell that Willy Wonka's not that old. Like but like yeah. you kind of want him to the grandpa to be like in his 20s when this happened, but it can't be that because Willy Wonka is yeah. not that old. Willy Wonka also exists out of time, but much like. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I feel work. like he should be in his. The grandpa should have been like 21 working in the factory, and Willy Wonka should just look the same. Yes. I think and that would have been cool too. Yeah. It's like you cast young grandpa, but you leave Johnny Depp exactly the same. Like, I feel like that yeah. makes more sense than the opposite. Yes. A lot of my notes here are like really stupid nitpicky things. (laughs) It's like stuff you see on Twitter or on Letterboxd where they're like, let me pick at this one tiny little thing. Here's one another nitpicky thing. Charlie finds the $10 bill on the ground. He goes and buys the chocolate bar. He hands the guy $10 and then gets a chocolate bar. Where's the change? They need that. First of all, surprised he didn't immediately run home and then have grandpa tell him to go buy another chocolate bar. The the morality there, a little ambiguous, but he didn't get the change. So I guess fuck his family. They didn't even get into the factory until like 35 minutes into the movie, which I was kind of surprised by. Well, they need to. Like they, they have to do all that setup. It's like too much... Yeah. 
to not explain. I mean, really, other than the fact that this movie isn't a musical, uh, like a non-diegetic musical, the major difference here is that they have inserted an entire storyline with Mm -hmm. Willy Wonka's dad that is not in the original. I don't even know that I like it that much. Something interesting is that like a big selling point of this movie that Tim Burton would say and that other people attached to the project would say is this one is focused on Charlie. The other one was focused on Willy Wonka. But then they make the like emotional heart of it about Willy Wonka. So I would would not agree with that statement. I would I get why they're saying it, but I would almost say it's the opposite after having watched because I don't give a single shit what happens to Charlie in this one. Um, No, he doesn't have a personality. No, they give him nothing. They make him Mm -hmm. a child support to a grown man. They have him come in and be like, do you want me to go with you? First of all, why why would he ever offer to go with this creepy ass man to his estranged father's house? It's like weird. It's just, it's, I don't know. I think that, Without Tim Burton's, like, visual whimsy and, like, the quirks and characteristics that he provides, this movie would be so bad. There would be no heart to it, I guess. I I think I see the heart in in the humor and in the, like, visual whimsy more than anything else. And I think that is his strong point, so it's okay. I feel like my negativity is coming out a lot more than I I even anticipated for this one. Even as a kid, like we would watch it a lot, but I can't really say I loved it. Like I didn't, I didn't really like love watching it necessarily. Neither did I. I don't really know why we watched it so much. I think the truth is we might have just watched the special features a lot. I think because this movie is like so strongly gender neutral. Like this is a movie that yeah any kid will probably want to watch. Because there's mm-hmm. something in it for everyone, like aesthetically and the cast is so big that yeah. we were like, yeah, let's watch that. I mean, it's just brightly colored. There's candy. Like, who doesn't enjoy that element? Seeing the candy room is like the highlight of the movie in both. I mean, that's like the whole, you know, the whole concept of like a set piece. That's like the set piece of the whole thing. So cool. It's also, again, really cool to see how they built it because they did actually build like all of the landscape and the fountain, like all of that was real too, which is really impressive and cool that again, someone got paid to build all of that with some millionaire's money. And those were human jobs that can't really be replaced by a machine, at least not yet. So that's cool. You know how people are like, Making fun of buckle fat removal on Twitter. I was going to say the exact same thing, but go ahead. It looks like Johnny Depp got buckle fat removal. Yes. <laughs> In this movie. Willy like, Wonka was the blueprint for that. He's so overly snatched. I mean, I don't know how they got him to look so clean shaven. Like some shots you can kind of see his five o'clock shadow, but most of them. Yeah. He looks prepubescent. Yeah, I remember a big part of the thing when this movie came out was that he looked so 
unrecognizable that part of it was just the gag of him looking so different, especially because he was in his Pirates of the Caribbean era where he looks basically like the opposite of Willy Wonka. So the transformation was a part of the cell as well. But I would stay away from that man. I don't want him anywhere near me. (laughs) Absolutely not. He's kind of, he's kind of someone you wouldn't want to see standing in your front yard, like looking up at your house. Terrifying. (laughs) Literally terrifying. Like it's like almost a horror worthy. I was going to say it very easily could have veered into that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would rather see Edward Scissorhands than this guy. One thing we haven't gotten into yet either is the spectrum of things that have aged poorly. Some of it has aged poorly, but not that bad. And some of it has aged really bad. Honestly, the thing that I think has aged the worst was Mike TV just full out saying the R slur while playing video games. (laughs) I thought that was bad even at the time. I mean, it was always like, oh, he's a piece of shit, but it... It was like boys in middle school were still saying that at the time. Now no one really says that. The Oompa Loompa thing feels more, honestly, feels more problematic in this one than it even did in the one from the 70s. Because in the 70s, they were more like fantasy creatures. Whereas in this one, their whole origin is a lot more true to the source text. Um, But in the original version of the book, the Oompa Loompas were described as dark-skinned pygmies. And then there was a bunch of backlash and it was changed to like rosy-cheeked dwarves. Yeah. It's but almost like, when, I don't know which is worse. Like, the, I think right. if anything, this movie's a little a little better just due to the fact that Deep Roy is casted in like most of his movies, has had a really illustrious career like he was not used and thrown away I don't know I think and and he got to showcase so much like in terms of like singing and and just like what a what a amazing opportunity even though I, I can't move for this movie I had to learn how to sing and dance we came and rehearsed him for about three months before we started shooting and teaching him things that he'd never really done before, you know. Little Deep is doing an amazing job. I think he had the hardest job on the movie, really. He had to train as a mountaineer. He had to learn to cut hair. Playing maracas, playing bongos. Doing Pilates in the morning. Dive onto boxes like a stuntman. There's so many different types of dance and instruments. We play the gamelan. He plays five parts in a rock band. From what I remember in the behind the scenes, he was like very much respected. I mean, he's really the star of the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. So hopefully he he got paid a lot because he probably put in way more hours than anyone else Mm -hmm. making this movie, at least actors wise. Complaining about fat phobia in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory (laughs) feels extremely stupid. And like self-evident. So I'm not really going to say much about what they actually say in the movie because you already know. But all I will say is between the existence of Augustus and Dudley Dursley in our childhood, I feel very bad for fat boys 
that were our age. Like, obviously, it's hard yeah. for fat people in general, but like, there is such a specific vision of fat little boys in the stuff that we watched as kids. And there really isn't as much for fat little girls. I don't know if there's actually any. So, no. I really. It makes me sad. And honestly, it made me think of good children a little bit because they talk a lot about being that age and being like a fat kid. And it made me think about what their experience would have been like. There was no representation for that for that child, which is not a good thing. No. But if there had been the representation, would it have been a good representation? Mm -hmm. No. So it's almost better. It's like better just don't provide the shitty representation whereas the little boys did get that shitty representation where it's like he's he's a bad person because he's fat he's overindulgent especially in this movie that that's literally yeah like that is the character the point of the character and each child is kind of representing us like a sin Mm. in and and why that sin should be condemned and charlie is perfect because he's shy and like doesn't say shit and like has no convictions it's like okay he has no he, personality so he wins poor, yeah. so he's perfect like it, it's it's kind of strange and and the difference too between the difference in the relationship between Wonka and Charlie in the original and in this movie is huge like I feel like yeah I don't buy their relationship in this version at all because no. they don't listen to each other and they don't, there's no bond. He's not perfect. And they make Charlie perfect in this one. If he's going to be our protagonist, he has to make a mistake. He has to learn something. Like he, he doesn't yeah, learn he doesn't. anything. It's literally Willy Wonka learns the value of family yeah. through Charlie. Through yeah. Charlie, which makes yeah, him the totally protagonist, right. which May also is like, why'd they change the name? I guess I get why they had to change the name. Like they couldn't just name it the same thing again. Yeah. This version is more about Willy Wonka than the original. I mean, it's totally not about Charlie. He does not matter in this yeah. movie. I, he is the, the impetus to change in Willy Wonka's life, yes. but he is not the protagonist he's not the protagonist he is the human call to action basically slash at the beginning he's the main character but then it changes yeah it changes what was the most appealing candy that you saw okay i can't remember if it's actually this movie or the first one Uh uh-huh but the one where there's like a it's like this goopy thing they're like scooping into like there's something Do you know what I'm talking about? I think that's in the first one, but this speaks to an interesting point, which is I just started trying to think of what I found the most appealing in this movie. And there actually is not that much candy. You don't really see that much candy in this version. No, I mean, they do a way better job. And that's because the original film actually had a lot more edible candy on set than this one. Yeah. Like, you can tell that it's edible. In, in those shots. Yeah. And I think that makes a huge difference. I can appreciate what they're going for with this super sleek, shiny, but it looks computer generated some or yeah. just not edible. 
Like the the physical things just don't look edible compared to the first movie. There's some like cream, like whipped cream thing. Yeah. That looks so good in the first movie. Let's talk about what we think the message is and also why this is a story that people still want to see. Aren't they making a remake with Timothy Chalamet right now? Yeah, it's already been shot and it's a prequel actually not a remake. And it's a, like, I'm pretty sure a musical because I, back when they were shooting, there was people in the country, I forget what country they were shooting in. There were some people who were like in the area who were like illegally filming him on set and stuff, like shooting the sequences and like there was playback. So it definitely is. There are songs in it. I don't know that it is a full musical, but there are songs in it. And personally, I don't want to hear him sing. Like, I just know he can't sing. This is my La La Land issue. I think he's a great actor. I don't want to hear him sing. I don't want to see him dance even. I, I just don't. He, he, you just he, want to see him, yeah. I just want to see him look sad. I feel like this is one of those franchises where it's like, I don't think there really is the demand for it. I think that from a business perspective, they can bet on it. And feel good yeah. about that bet. Yeah. I don't think the demand really is there. I don't, if you like went on the street and started asking random people, what, do you want to see a Willy Wonka movie in 2024? I don't think people would really say yes. I don't think so either. I, I think maybe part of it too is like, not with the prequel, obviously, but just in general, like, when you're a kid and you watch this movie and you see shitty little kids that may remind you of maybe one of your peers or one of your bullies and you see them getting their just desserts, you're like, yeah, fuck that guy. So maybe that's part of it. I don't get that because as a kid, even if the kid in the movie was being shitty, if they were put in harm's way, I was scared. Like I literally did not care who they were or how they were acting. I feel like I was always just like, why am I being shown this? Kind of like with... um. Even though I didn't watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as a kid, that movie is so scary. Oh, because of the... There's a literal child catcher who is scarier than I would say most horror movies today. Like, it is just creepy. Whoa. It's just, it's funny when like kids are put in danger, in real danger, in children's movies. It's not that I think that they shouldn't. Like, for example, Harry Potter. That, to me, for some reason, that is an acceptable type of danger for the children because it it feels like it has... It is the story. Like, that, that is the larger story being told versus, yeah. like, Chitty. It doesn't <laughs> feel like it had to happen. I don't know. It's really soul-chilling. I, I almost <laughs> would say don't watch it. No, I, I'm definitely going to, and I will report back with my experience because I'm very curious. Creepy movie. The last thing I'll say, because I forgot to mention this about the kids, is that there's something really creepy to me about the growing. It feels fetishy in some way, and I can't place why. You know that? Do you ever get Ooh. those TikToks that are like, is this porn? No. <laughs> Where it'll be like someone like like punching their hand into like a thing of like Play-Doh or like someone like icing a cake and then like dumping the stuff. You mean you're asking that question in your head? No, I'm not asking, is this porn? This whole 
there's a woman whose whole TikTok is watching this really weird content and being like, is this fetish porn? It is most of the time. And (laughs) with the whole growing thing, I'm not saying that it's because it's children. I'm saying because of the creepiness and like the big assness of it all and like the uncontrollable, I don't know. It just gives me bad vibes. I just don't like it. That is what TikTok will do to you. It'll plant things in your mind that you otherwise would not have thought about. There's lots of things that, not that specifically, but there's lots of things that I literally would never have thought of. And I think I'm honestly worse off. Like, I don't think, (laughs) I honestly don't know that TikTok is net good. I kind of think it's not. I think it's net bad because now everybody. Okay, that's the question for the culture (laughs) for next week. I don't think we need to hear this many people's experiences. (laughs) Well, that's the whole thing about the internet that people always say we were not we were not meant we're not to evolved hear for this yeah this many like, people's experiences it's not applicable it's like we're so susceptible to stories that hearing so many conflicting and upsetting stories and it, I feel like probably a lot of People who listen to this podcast and people like us in general, like our feeds have a lot of personal weight to them because we tend Mm -hmm. to connect to things where people are being like saying their shit. If my feed was like more light, I think it would feel less mentally taxing, maybe. Yes. So I don't know. Just watch. That's my message is... Stay off TikTok or just spend less time on it. Just limit it. Yeah. Limit it to like a good 15 minutes. Yeah. That's all you need Agreed. because any further than that. It's over. It's you. over. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I really enjoyed rewatching this movie. I thought that it was really funny. I'm not going to watch it again. Probably. I might watch some clips. I thought it was worth a rewatch though, personally. I think for our generation, it is worth a rewatch. Is it good? I would rather watch basically any Tim Burton movie from before this one. I would rather watch that than watch this or watch any Tim Burton movie from after this because he he gets really hollow and it's just, Corpse Bride is good. Yeah, I'd rather watch Edward Scissorhands, especially. Audrey, it's time to do... Do the deed, if you okay. will. <laughs> you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. <laughs> we are still not at a thousand subscribers. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on everything. And please join our Discord server at the link in our episode description or on evergreenpodcast.com. We got custom sticker reactions this week due to a new member of the Discord who showed us the light and the way. So now you can make a comment and then react to someone else's comment with a picture of Lola Step or Aquamarine, which is what we all need in life. You can check out our merch at twofingproductions.com slash shop and we still have an active caseify code 15 sleepover and if you like the show send an episode to a friend a family member a co-worker and leave us a review on apple podcasts if you're feeling generous 
Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. See you next week, people. Bye. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts, or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.